Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. is to raise our missions giving by 10% this year and encourage everyone to consider uh, your portion of missions that you give towards a church if you do that, maybe saying, Lord, can I, can I raise that by 10%? And there was uh, some questions that came. Uh, let me just kind of, again, just for educational purposes, many of you know this, but some of you don't. The Bible talks about the tithe, and the tithe is 10%. That is the first 10%. It's, it's tithe giving. It says that, Lord, I'm going to give you the first 10%. That is what the Lord asks for us in obedience to him. And it's really the tithe. You can just exchange the word tithe for trust. It's saying that I don't own it all, that, God, everything that I have, I, I, I realize has been given to me by you. And so what I do is what you ask of me is to trust you by giving back the first 10%. That's called the tithe. Missions giving or giving to a building program or giving to another ministry, even outside of your local storehouse, your local church, those are called offerings. That is not required. That is something that as the Holy Spirit pricks your heart, as the Holy Spirit moves upon your heart and encourages you, that is one of those things that you begin to respond obediently to the Lord. And for some, in terms of your financial situation or picture, it might be another step of faith in order to do that. And I just wanted to kind of delineate between that. As a church, we do give out of our general fund, out of the tithes and offerings, we do give to missions to help support what we feel as a church we're to do for missions. But we also have folks who feel pricked by the Lord to give above and beyond their tithe in the area of missions giving. And so if that would be what the Lord would do for you, that's where you indicate missions in that section where you just let us know, this is the portion that I'm giving to missions, this is my tithe, or if there's building or something like that. Again. I am not asking, this is not a push, this is not a, oh, you know, if you're a guest with us, I'm not asking you to give. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and a part of our church, I am just simply informing so that you are aware, in case you haven't been, of what those things are. I haven't preached on that, and so I just wanted to just take a moment and just share that. Again, I am not twisting anybody's arm, all right, I'm not, this is not one of those pleas, all right? But I'm asking you to simply say, Lord, how can I be obedient to you? And as a church, that's one of the things we felt the Lord has put in our hearts so that we can continue to see the gospel go uh, not only here locally, and we support many local ministries, but also throughout the United States and around the world. And so you can be a part of that and partner with us to do that. So let's pray and ask the Lord now to bless the tithes and the offerings and just to use them so that his gospel is furthered. Father, we just thank you today. We thank you for all that you do in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the many ways that you provide for us. And uh, Lord, oftentimes when we, don't even, when we don't even see it coming, you're a good, good father. And, uh, and you meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory. That, Father, we don't, we don't have to worry or fret, but we can seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and know that all those things can be added to, unto us as well. Father, I pray your blessing, Lord, upon these tithes, these offerings, any, uh, any funds that are given today, Lord, to further your kingdom. 
And Lord, we pray that you would use these things today, Lord, so that someone can come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Once again, thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord and uh, for just uh, giving me grace during that time. Just to help, uh, again, just explain a little bit. I just think sometimes we can take for granted uh, an understanding of these things and just wanted to give uh, just a little bit of an update after I received some questions last week just to kind of help inform uh, of what's going on. So we've been talking here on Sundays about Ohio for Jesus and uh, that's our theme this year, All Things Are Possible. And as I've shared over the last couple of weeks, we are partnering uh, with Assemblies of God churches across the state of Ohio, the Ohio Ministry Network, uh, on some goals that uh, the Lord has put in our hearts. How many believe that Ohio needs to be one for Jesus? Amen? Yeah. There's a lot of brokenness in our world. There's a lot of need in our world. And as I shared a couple of weeks ago, there's a lot of need even in our own community. And uh, there are a lot of people that have need, and we want to be a part of what Jesus' mission is to, to reach the lost, to care for those that are hurting, to care for the broken, to come alongside. And we don't just want to do a, a, a good work socially. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Can I, can I just explain that for a moment? I'm not looking for just another good social program. There's a lot of social programs. There's a lot of uh, uh, nonprofits that are doing a lot of good in our community socially. What, what makes it outreach, what makes it, what makes it evangelism, what, what allows it to be different from just a, a, a social program, and we ought to be a part of that, but as the church, what makes it different is do, do we have a way in which we connect the good works that we are doing to care, the loving, caring things that we are doing, do we have a way of connecting that to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. I, that is what is mission critical. It, it is wonderful around the world that there are people who recognize that in some nations they don't have clean drinking water, and so we want to go into a community and we want to provide a well so that people are not getting sick but have an opportunity to have clean drinking water. I think that is wonderful, and I'm not against that in any way. However, I cannot call it missions. It cannot be called evangelism if it is not connected in some way with sharing what we are doing in a care way to the gospel of Jesus Christ who transforms and who has come to meet a bigger need, and that is a sin need. Do you know what I'm... Am I, am I, am I clear? <laughs> I, I just... Again, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that grab our attention. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get overwhelmed by the need. I can be overwhelmed by the need. When I take a look at the world around us and I take a look at the brokenness in the world around us and I hear about an earthquake in Turkey and I hear about multiple earthquakes in Puerto Rico and I hear about different uh, fires or different floods or, or, or droughts or things that are going on around our world or when I hear the statistics of people who around our world, children who are hungry or I take a look and I, and I hear about the need even within our own community, the need for, for adoption, the need for foster care and, and the amount of children children that are in need because uh, they, 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 they are neglected or they are in homes where there is, there is a lot of brokenness. And when I see about the need of homelessness and, and then I hear about the statistics of addiction and, and on and on and on and on, I can become overwhelmed. 
And one of the things that can happen when I become overwhelmed is I can begin to turn off and say, well, I don't want to be overwhelmed by that. There's really little I can do. I don't know if I can really do anything. And so I can become apathetic towards the need. And I can turn towards the things that I want to do and absorb myself with my schedule and my priorities and, 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 and all of these things and say, well, this is just what I have to do and what I have to focus on right now. And oftentimes I can turn my back to the need and get myself busied and hurried and a lot of other things and say, well, somebody else will do it. Am I the only one? But see, the problem, the problem with brokenness, the problem with all of this is to understand foundationally, number one, is foundationally where this began. And, uh, and, and see, what we really need to understand when we experience all of the brokenness in our world, it really goes all the way back to a problem that began with Adam and Eve. It's called a sin problem. And it's what happened when all of a sudden the human race had a sin nature and began to look selfishly and began to sin and hurt and harm one another. And there is brokenness in the human race that causes us to harm. We also have to understand that with the curse came a curse upon even the very earth in which we, uh, in which we live that allows for natural disasters, that allows for a lot of the brokenness and a lot of the harm that we see and the injustice. It goes back to a sin problem that goes all the way back to the curse. God had warned Adam and Eve that if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis 2.17, that they would die. But that devil, you know, that serpent, what did he do? He came and he deceived Eve and said that God was a liar. You will surely not die. And that's what he was saying. You, you can believe God or you can believe me. And what I'm telling you is God is a liar. That's what he was saying. You're not going to die. In fact, the, you know, what I'm telling you is if you eat of this, you will be like God. You're going to know good and evil, and you don't need God because you'll be like God. You can decide what's right, and you can decide what's wrong, and you can decide for yourself. And so what did they do? We know what they did. They believed the serpent instead of God, and they ate. And what happened? Well, what happened was as long as Adam and Eve believed God, there was life. As long as they believed God, they had everything that they needed. As long as they believed God, there was no brokenness, there was no guilt, there was no shame, there was no fear. As long as they believed God, they had everything that they needed. But the moment they stopped believing God, the moment they stopped trusting in God, they lost that fellowship, that sweet fellowship with God, and they lost his protection, and they lost what he had, because when you trust God with all your heart, you're protected by him. But instead, they began to trust in their own understanding, giving way to believing the words of the deceiver. And Proverbs 3, 5 says that we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart and not our own understanding. But too many times, we fall into the same category because of this sin nature and we begin to trust in our own understanding rather than in what God says. And when we do that, we open up ourselves to a world of horror. It says their eyes were opened their eyes were opened. For the first time, they began to see shame. They began to feel shame. They began to feel guilt. 
For the first time, they started to assess blame. For the first time, there was relational conflict. For the first time, there was separation from God in which rather than run to a fellowship with God, rather than run into a sweet presence and fellowship, they began to run away and they began to hide. You see, that's, that's what sin does. Fear and self-worship turned pathologically into selfishness. And we became susceptible to all kinds of deception. And as a result of that, God pronounced a curse on them so that we who sin like them have inherited what's called death. Death entered the human experience. And with it, affliction and trouble, it's not normal. It's why we grieve. God imposed suffering and hardship and death as the curse on the human race for Adam and Eve's sin. This is, this is the foundational problem it says in Genesis 3, 15 through 19, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. God is talking to Adam and Eve. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And then he said to the woman, I'll sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and, and, and in pain you will give birth. And all the ladies went, oh. And, uh, and, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you've listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I've commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you'll struggle to scratch a living from it and grow thorns and thistles for you, though you eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you are made. For you are made from dust, and to dust you shall return. Well, that is heavy, isn't it? When I read this passage, what I see is the curse of sin brought about a spiritual hostility and a spiritual conflict. All of a sudden, what entered into the human experience was a spiritual warfare. In Ephesians, Paul says that the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's about, it's the rulers and the principalities and the powers of the air in the high places. There's a spiritual battle. But instead, when sin is introduced, it creates other types of conflict and other types of pain. Because the spiritual battle that we experience coupled by the sin nature causes us to begin to be in conflict with one another. What do we see in this conflict? Well, we see the serpent, the symbol of Satan and the demonic is in conflict with God's plan. And this conflict has been going on from generation to generation because the serpent is a thief. He longs to steal, kill, and destroy that which God wants to bring life to. And he convinces us that we don't understand it the right way, that God is not for us, but rather he's against us. That God does not truly love us, but rather he's holding out on us. And it comes down to a matter of faith. But he's out to destroy God's creation and those who have been created in the very image of God. We also see relational conflict in marriage, pain in childbearing. And I'd go as far as to say that the pain in childbirth is more than just a pain in physical labor, but rather it is a pain that goes along as parents strive with children. And as there is a conflict over control and over authority, a conflict of over who is going to be right and who is going to be wrong, and there is a, a perpetual conflict that, if we are not careful, can break down families, and there is a conflict in marriage, and what is it? You will desire to control him. He will desire to rule over you, and what we experience is a whole lot of desire to be in charge. It's a desire to rule. 
Why? Because when we, when we stop, when we stop understanding the main authority, when we stop coming under the main authority, it begins to impact every other area in our life when it comes to surrender and when it comes to honoring one another in love. I'm, I'm not even on my notes. This is the problem. This is the age-old problem all the way back to the beginning. The age-old problem started when they stopped believing God and when they started to believe other lies. That is the problem. So we can look at the world and we can look at the hurt and we can look at the brokenness of our world and we can try to put band-aids on it by trying to have a lot of it. And again, I am not against helping. I'm not against care and I'm not against social programs. Please do not understand me. However, if we only put the band-aid on it by trying to care for the social need and we try to pass laws and we try to come up with, with these ways to be able to address the purpose without a addressing the heart, without addressing the main issue, which is the sin issue, we are missing the point of the gospel. Because the gospel is good news. And the good news is, is that Jesus Christ came to rescue us, not rescue us necessarily from all of the pain, not rescue us necessarily from all of the challenges, because anybody who's been a believer in Jesus for any length of time understands there are still challenges. Because we are contending with an enemy who is against God's plan. It is not a deliverance from trouble. It's not a deliverance from hardship. It is a rescue from sin. It is a rescue from the wages of sin, which is death. It is a rescue from the main problem that we have, and that is the sin problem. And that is, as believers in Jesus Christ, when Jesus speaks of the Great Commission to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything in which I have commanded you. It is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the, 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 the sharing the good news that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sin. And when we begin to get that relationship aligned, when the shame and the guilt and the sin, and when God begins to set us free through Jesus Christ, and, and we begin to receive his grace, then and only then can we begin to see the main need be addressed, the main need be healed. It's got to be about the gospel. It's got to be about the gospel. You see, economic struggle and striving is in here as well. They, they, they grow the thorns and the thistles, and, and, and you're going to struggle by the sweat of your brow. Anybody who's ever worked really figure that out before? Man, I'm working so hard. I'm trying. Why can't nothing ever? I just can't seem to get ahead. Anybody ever said that before? Thank Adam. I mean, the, the economic struggles, the economic problems, the injustice that we see in wages and the injustice that we see in things all comes back to a sin issue. The struggles with identity as we pour ourselves into trying to be successful and find some kind of identity in our success and in what we do and we struggle with this identity issues and we struggle with all of these things, it all goes back to Sin goes back to 
sin. It goes back to where we're choosing to believe. Romans 8.20, Paul said, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. What we're talking about is the natural disasters, the famine, the disease, all of these kinds of things entered into the human race because of sin. And those born under the curse of sin, we add misery by multiplying our own sins so that Job laments, man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. The suffering and the sickness and the pain we encounter, the inevitability of death cause us, should cause us to recognize this alienation from God and our desperate need for reconciliation with him before we die. The problem is we need a savior. That's what we need. We need a savior. He, being a Christian is recognizing that I need a savior. It's owning and taking responsibility that I have sinned against God. That, that's where it all begins. The gospel begins there. The good news of the gospel is that the curse of sin and death has been broken. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. What he meant is, I've come to reverse the curse. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. In fact, 1 Peter 2, 24, that Jesus came to bear our sins in his body on the tree, that is the cross, that we might live in, live to righteousness. In Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Jesus reverses the curse so that he says that whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Why is believing so crucial to Jesus? Because Adam and Eve failed to believe in God. They failed to believe not just in God, they failed to believe God. They failed to believe God. It's not just believing in God. It's not just believing that there's a God who exists. Well, I believe there's a God who exists. It's not about that. It's believing, it's believing God. It's taking God at his word. It's saying that what you say, I will do. I believe it to the point that it comes out in my actions. As James says, faith without works is dead. It comes out in what we do. Believing is so critical. Romans 1.25 explains what happens when we stop believing God and we start believing a lie. It says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. It's a dishonoring treason. It's a, a magnitude that a, a holy God we think should put up with whatever way we want to live our lives. That just doesn't happen. Guilt and sin must receive its just penalty, but God reminds us, Jesus reminds us, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. The penalty for this treason is bearing the curse, but Galatians 3.13 says everyone who will trust in his word over Satan's of their own understanding, it talks about the fact that the curse is reversed. The curse is reversed. See, the only true answer to the brokenness of this world and the need in our world today is in our community and it's in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what it is. It's the church. It's Jesus Christ. 
That's the answer for the brokenness in our world today. The gospel is good news. It's good news to a world that needs to know. So what, how, how do we address this need? Because that's where I get overwhelmed. How do we, how do we address the need? How do, we, how do we make sure that people hear the gospel? How, how do we understand? How do we, how do we begin to share the good news of Jesus Christ? What, what, what do we do? Well, I, I want to kind of back up a little bit because I want to talk about the importance of three relationships. There's three relationships that, that we see that Jesus modeled for us in Scripture. Three relationships that were really important. Three relationships that we ought to have in our lives, that we ought to make margin for, that we ought to make opportunity for in our lives. And I want you to think of it as kind of a, a triangle, if you will. Kind of a triangle. And I'm going to give you some parts of the triangle today. But I want to talk about it and look at these three relationships that Jesus modeled and how it impacts the world around us. And uh, I want to look at Luke chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. And so if you have a copy of God's Word or you're following along on your, your Bible app or in the, the app notes, we're going to look at Luke chapter 6. I'm going to read from uh, the ESV version, the English Standard Version today uh, with just this opening and then we'll flip to a couple different translations. But Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12, says this, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. We're talking about Jesus here. And when day came, Jesus, meaning Jesus, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and then Judas Iscariot, who describes us, who became a traitor. And he came down with them, and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. Now, I want to... Just point out the end of this for a moment, verses 17 and 18, because it talks about the need. There was a great multitude. When Jesus had come down, there was a great multitude that had come. It was not only his disciples or his followers, but there was a great multitude of people that had come. And the people who had come had great need. They had great brokenness. There was great brokenness. They were in need of healing of their sicknesses and diseases. They were in need of, of evil spirits that had uh, afflicted them to be cast out. So they were in need of deliverance. There was a, a great need among the multitude. And Jesus responded and was able to bring healing and was able to bring freedom and deliverance from the captives. But what I want to point out is the events that were leading up to this. And that's what we were reading in the whole section. We weren't just reading about the multitude in their need, but there was, there was some things that happened prior to the meeting of the need. There were some things that happened prior. There were some relational experiences that were happening prior to this. And so as we take a look at the triangle, I want us to look at the pinnacle at the top, and I want you to write the words up. Up. The up relationship. What is the up relationship? It was Jesus' relationship with his Father. Before the need of the multitude could be met, before the calling of followers or the process of disciple-making 
could begin, Jesus began by getting into the presence of his Father and by prioritizing an up relationship with his heavenly Father. Verse 12, on those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. He spent the night in prayer. He spent the night in prayer. He prayed regularly. Throughout the Gospels, that's what we find. We find that Jesus prioritizes and makes time to pray. Now, this is Jesus. All right, can I just back it up for a moment? This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the Son of God. This is Jesus that that in John chapter 1 and verse 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in other words, Jesus has always existed. He is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But what I want you to understand is this is Jesus. This is the one who knows what it is to have fellowship with his heavenly Father. And yet before he goes out to do any kind of ministry to meet the needs of those who are broken in this world he prioritizes an up relationship of spending time with his heavenly father if that's what Jesus did how much more should we and yet if you call a prayer meeting it's one of the least attended services if we take a look at a devotional life personal life personal devotional life I'm a believer I would ask you, how much time do you spend in the presence of the Father? The need of the world around us will only truly be met when we begin to understand how important it is to prioritize an up relationship with the Father. Prayer was a fundamental element in the life of Jesus as much as breathing. He inhaled the Father's presence so he could exhale his Father's will. Jesus was in constant contact with the Father, whom he spoke of being in in a very personal, intimate way, almost to the point where when he would call God his Father, it was blasphemy. Blasphemy. How can you call God your Father? Because he knew God in an intimate way. He knew God in a way that many did not. And yet the source of his fruitfulness was the up relationship with his father. What he saw his father doing, he said, that's what I do. Whatever I see my father doing, I'm only seeing what my father is doing. In fact, his disciples get down to it. And and one time, you know, he's saying, they're saying, show us the father. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Have I been with you so long? You know, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Why? Because he had an up relationship. He knew how to be intimate with his heavenly father. He understood how important that up relationship was and how out of that up relationship with the father, everything else flowed. All other ministry flowed. Exhaling the father's will flowed from inhaling the father's presence. In fact, you say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, then you ought to read John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It doesn't matter your talent. It doesn't matter your giftedness. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your experience. If you're not walking, carrying the presence of the Lord, if you're not being empowered and staying connected to Christ in relationship, 
then your ministry will be fruitless. Fruitless. We can't exchange the work of God for time spent in relationship with God. Our work ought to flow from our relationship. Micah 6, 8, God says to his people, he says, he has told you, O man of God, what is good and what the Lord does require of you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And I think in this passage, we see what we're going to look at today in the three elements. And I started with up, but we're going to talk about in and out in just a moment. But we see it here. If we look at the out, we say, oh, doing justice. I want to do justice. I want to act justly. I want to go out and do justice. If we look at the, the in, we say, I want to act kindly. I want to love one another and show kindness and mercy. But the up is walking humbly with our God. Walking humbly with our God, Jesus invited them to walk with him, not just talk with him. Micah doesn't say talk humbly with your God. He says walk. There's a walking. It's walking. Now, talking and listening isn't bad. It's good, but it's incomplete if we're not walking with God in a very personal and intimate way, going back to what happened before there was ever sin, that Jesus, that God, God would walk. They would, in the cool of the day, they would hear God walking. Many times they would run to it, but sin caused them to run away from it. Frank Lauerbach was a missionary to the Muslims in southern Philippines in the early 20th century. And he resolved to, to pursue the kind of daily intimacy that Jesus modeled with his followers. As an ordained minister, he confessed to being ashamed that he had often overlooked the joy of sharing God's presence. And his writings encourage us to know the invisible companion that's inside of you. Along with Brother Lawrence, they wrote a book called Practicing His Presence. And he says this, God is infinitely more important than his advice or his gifts. Indeed, he himself is the great gift. The most precious privilege in talking with Christ is this intimacy that we can have with him. We may have a glorious succession of heavenly minutes... How foolish we are to lose life's most poignant joy, seeing that it may, ha may be had while taking a walk alone. What, what, we're, what Jesus asks us, what Jesus invites us, let me just say not ask, what he invites us to do is to walk in intimacy with him. To begin to prioritize the importance of his presence. Important, the importance of that up relationship cultivating the joy of spending time with our Heavenly Father. And that's what we have been invited to do. So it's no coincidence that then following this time with this Heavenly Father, praying all night and spending time with this Heavenly Father, that when Jesus comes down, he begins to see all of the people that have been following him, all right? More than just the 12, there are a lot of people that are following Jesus that are wanting to be his disciples or that would even be considered a level of his disciples. They're following him. There's a, there's a lot. We know one point that that he sent out 70, all right? So that, that's coming later that he sent out 70. But there were a lot. But when he comes down, all of a sudden, he begins to have a priority in his mind out of spending time with the Father. And he goes, you know what? There are some folks that the Father is wanting me to invest a little extra time in. There are some folks that, that the Father wants me to, to take. And I, I, and I can do this, but I got to invest in these 12, I got to invest a little bit more in these 12. And so what we find in discipleship is the in relationship with his chosen followers. 
be in relationship. Now, why am I, what, here, let me just read it. Luke 6, 13 to 16, and then I'll get into it. And when day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, we all, we know what happened with Judas, right? And we know what, what happened here. But what we get modeled here is that in the in relationship, we have been encouraged and modeled by Jesus to say, who are the people that the Father wants me to invest in and disciple? Who are the people that the Father wants me to invest in and disciple? Now, again, we haven't gotten to the multitudes, all right? There's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of need, and there's a lot of brokenness in our community. But what we have been commissioned to do, what we have been called to do is to make disciples, to make disciples, and so what we, what we are seeing that Jesus is modeling is, is that each one of us, we can't, we can't disciple everybody. We, we can't meet the need of everybody. We, it's just too impossible. However, there are people that perhaps we have not necessarily recognized that Jesus is calling us to have a special investment in their lives. An investment of community within their lives. An investment of discipleship within their lives. And, and a couple of weeks ago, I challenged you that I, that I really am praying that God will use every believer in our church to disciple one person to Jesus this year. To disciple one person to Jesus this year. And what I had you do is, and, and if you want one of these, we have them. There was a card, and there were, there were three slots, and you could write more if you wanted, three to five people. But I find that oftentimes Jesus could disciple 12, but 12 for a lot of us is, a, that's a lot. You know, that's, that's just really, that's, whoo, man, I don't know. That's a lot of investment, and I don't know. But to write down, who, who are the three people, maybe the five people, that the Lord would put on your heart that you could begin to pray and that God would open up the door so that you could begin to invest in them. You see, discipleship is more than just than coming to church on a Sunday morning and hearing me preach, all right? I get, that's like 52 times a year if you come every Sunday. If you come Wednesday nights, we can double that, you know, just about, because we don't have every Wednesday night. That is 52 times. That, that doesn't give enough time. But when you begin to invest in relationship and you begin to pour in and, 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 and we begin to invest in that, we begin to prioritize a relationship where we say, Jesus, who would you like me to spend more time with and invest in their lives? See, every one of us in the human race, we've been designed for relationship. We need relationship. We need relationship. We, we need that inward balanced part of relationship. And as Jesus was praying, he began to, to see that there were some that he needed to invest in a little bit more. Now, there were the 70 as well that he sent out, but the 12 had a special place of leadership and influence. There was a special place of training. And even among the 12, there were three that had other experiences that the 12 didn't. There was levels of this intimacy and invitation and discipleship. And, and if we are following the model of Jesus Christ as we come out of our up relationship with the Father, Father, to carry out his will, we're saying, who would you have me to invest in? Say, but I'm not a teacher. You don't have to be a teacher. You have to be a believer. 
but I don't know a whole lot. Guess what? You start investing in somebody else, they're going to ask you questions. You're going to find you need to study and learn a whole lot more. There'll be a whole lot more motivation. In fact, I think that many of us stagnate in our relationship with God because we never take the responsibility to begin to pour into others. We don't take the opportunity to disciple others, to spend time in discipleship with others. We're too busy. We're too busy. And then from this, out of this, the out relationship with the hurting world around him. It says, as he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples, that's the whole bunch, and a great multitude of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and he healed them all. What we see here is a multitude of people that are in need. And, and the multitude of people did not go away. There's a multitude of people and we are called to reach out. So we begin to, to, to invest in the upward relationship. And we take from that relationship of the upward relationship and we say, who are you wanting me to invest in? And we begin to invest and then together as the community, together as the community of believers, we begin to go out and we're able to care and we're able to to unify together to meet a greater need the greater need of evangelism the greater need of going out Jesus never lost sight of the importance of walking among the crowds teaching and feeding and healing and comforting and ministering at the point of need yes there was the upward relationship we might count that as the worship there were the prayer, the worship, the honoring of God. And then there's the inward of discipleship and learning and growing and investing in together. But then we take that as a community, a community of believers, a community of discipleship. And we begin to go out together and we're able together to meet a greater need in the crowd around. That's the picture that we see. If we follow the model of Jesus, it's not just the upward in the inward dimensions of spirituality that are important. But he was also concerned about the good news of the gospel going out to the community. He was there to meet the needs of the broken and the marginalized, those that were facing injustice. He modeled this kind of ministry. He demonstrated what it was to have that up relationship with his heavenly father as his inward circle, as they begin to, he began to pour in, as he began to model that up relationship with the father, they said, hey, teach us how to pray. We want to know how to pray. And began to teach them, our father who aren't in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? He began to teach them how to pray. It was in the modeling of the up relationship that, that inwardly they began, they began to see, they began to ask, they began to want to grow what was modeled before them. We see it in Paul who says, follow me as I follow Christ. That, that is what we are called to do. And as we begin to invest in discipling and growing and encouraging others to do the same, what we find is there is a multiplication and a unity that allows us to be able to address the greater need of a community that can overwhelm.
Later on, he began to send his disciples out. You see, disciples making disciples is not just about hanging out inwardly in our little clubs and programs and classes and life groups, but it's also about going out to meet the need. And we see with the 70 that after this, the Lord appointed 72, 72, I said 70, 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Two by two. That's the smallest number that you get when it it comes to Christianity. The smallest division that you get is two. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. He sends them out in two. Even to do tasks that we would consider minuscule. Hey, I need a donkey to ride on because I'm going to enter Jerusalem. You know, we kind of celebrate that when we're talking about, you know, they wave their palm branches, Palm Sunday. And and how I need a donkey, I need a colt, a foal. I'm going to send two to go get it. There's power in two. I can't do it alone, two. Coming together, going together, sending them out, giving them instructions. And look at what it says. When they returned, they gave this report. The 72 returned with joy. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now, Jesus used it as a teaching moment. But, but the, the, to be quite honest with you, they were carrying out the work that their master had taught them. The very works that Jesus was doing, they were doing. And we see that being carried out in the work of the kingdom even after he ascends to the Father and he sends them out. What we see is multiplication. He invested in a few and as he did, they continued to carry out the work. He made disciples who made disciples. Friends, that was the plan of Jesus. In fact, he entrusted the entire kingdom of God and plan to these men. His method was to train them to train others. It was a multiplying work. And as the Apostle Paul told Timothy, this is what we ought to do. These things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, all of these things, these things I have taught, these things I have preached, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, the task of proclaiming the, the, the gospel to the world and the six billion people in our world is daunting. I don't know about you. But the principle of multiplication can yield amazing results if we will do our part. If we will do our part. Maybe you've heard examples like this, but let me ask you a question. Suppose you had a choice between two jobs. The one job, uh, both jobs are only going to last 35 days, all right? So you get a choice. It's a 35-day job. You get a choice. The first option of this job is I'm going to pay you $1,000 each day. So for 35 days, at the end of 35 days, you'll make $35,000. I'm going to pay you $1,000 each day. The second choice, the second job is, I'm going to pay you. The first day, I'm going to pay you a penny, all right, one cent. But then every day, it's going to double, all right? I'm going to, that, that, what I pay you, that'll double each day. Do you know that, that if you took the first job, again, we said you'd earn $35,000. If you took the second job, you would earn in just 35 days. That's multiplication. That was the plan. That's the plan. That's the plan. The plan of Jesus to meet the needs of a broken world was not a megachurch. It was the church being the church. It was believers 
modeling what Jesus did, spending time in their relationship with their heavenly father and investing time in discipling a few who will disciple a few who will disciple a few and together going out and what happens is you have an opportunity in which the entire world is impacted or as the book of Acts says by this movement that had taken place they literally were turning the world upside down. These are the men who turn the world upside down. We have a tendency to elevate Paul and to say, well, it happened with Paul, or it happened with Peter, or it happened with John, or it happened with Barnabas, or it happened with one of these. And we say, oh, they're the elevated personalities. They did it. They did it because they began to invest in others who also did it. Paul had Timothy. Paul had Titus. They had John Mark. There was, a, there was a whole host that Paul lists in every letter when you get into it and you don't want to read because those names don't make sense. And give my greeting to this and give my greeting to this. And everywhere Paul went and he planted churches, he began to raise up others who were in leadership. And he, there was a structure and there was leadership and there were leaders. But they were leading the church to carry out the gospel. And literally they began to transform a Roman world who was anything but Christian. They were anti that. Caesar was God. They experienced great persecution, and yet the gospel continued. Why? Because he entrusted the gospel to faithful people who would in turn carry it out and invest in a few Invest in faithful people who then would see that I've got to carry it out and I've got to carry it out and it began to multiply and grow and they turned the world upside down. I want you to vote. I want you to pray about the leadership of our country but I'm going to tell you the problems in our country are never going to be fixed by changing laws. Our nation will be turned upside down when the church begins to take its responsibility to make disciples. When we stop making excuses and we start making disciples. When we take a look at our schedules and we begin to prioritize what Jesus prioritized about. When we stop complaining and we start praying then we'll see change. That's the only way. It's not going to be a political party that's going to make the changes we need to see in our nation. It's going to take a revival. It's going to take a discipleship revival where the people of God take ownership of the responsibility that I am a disciple maker and that I am going to disciple others. But it's got to come when we get down on our face and we begin to spend time in the presence of the Father. I'm going to close with one final story. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come, and we're just going to spend some time. But a familiar legend, and it's not, again, it's a legend. <laughs> this, is not, this is not in the Bible. It's not a Bible story, okay? It's just one of these things, a conversation happened between Jesus and the angel Gabriel. You know, the angel Gabriel that was there that announced his coming after 
his ascension when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. Gabriel comes in. They begin to have a conversation. They have a conversation about Jesus' birth. They have a conversation about happening Jesus' life and in this ministry. They have a conversation about his death and his resurrection. And then Gabriel asks this. He says, how will the people of the world get to know all about it? About the good news. About what you came to do. About how you came to rescue from sin and reverse the curse. How will they know? And Christ's reply was this. I have this little company of friends whom I've asked to publish it to be my witnesses. And Gabriel asked this question, but what if for any reason they let you down or fail to do it? Here's what Jesus says, I have no plan B. I have no plan B. That is my plan. So my question to you is, will you be a part of God's plan? Will you be a part of God's plan? Now, maybe for you to be a part of God's plan, you, as you're sitting here, and I began to share about the curse, and I began to share about the sin problem, you say, whoa, I got to back up because I got to start there. I, I've never, I've never, I've never asked Christ to forgive me of my sin. I, I've never experienced new life. I, I've never been born again. I've not, a, I've not experienced that. I, I, I would say that I'm still under the weight of sin. Then that's where we need to start, and you can do that today. And the choice is I need to stop believing the lies in my own understanding and I need to start believing Jesus. Because that's how it is. That we believe in our heart that he raised Christ from the dead and we confess with our mouth that he is Lord. It begins with confession. Saying, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. I know that I need rescued from my sin. And so if that's you this morning, if you're and you've not made that confession of faith, you've not asked Jesus into your life, you've not received Christ in salvation, we want to begin there. And then if you've done that, my question to you, and I pray that the Lord would stir in your heart, are you willing to be a part of his plan and say, Jesus, make me a disciple maker who makes disciples. Jesus, make me a disciple maker who makes disciples. Let me prioritize the importance of gathering together with a group of others and, and beginning to pour in and beginning to grow and beginning to do that. What do you need to do to get there? For some of you, there may be some, some decisions you've got to make in terms of your schedule, in terms of your priorities. There may be some growth that has to take place. That's a part of discipleship as well. That's where we need to get together with some other believers and walk together on how we can begin to grow in some of these areas in our lives that are holding us back from fulfilling the call of God. So let's bow our heads this morning. And, and again, if you... If you say, you know what, I've not received Christ into my life. I, I'm still under the curse of sin and death. And I, I want to believe today Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I need his forgiveness for my sin today. If that's you and you, you need the rescue today, you need his salvation today. Will you slip up your hand today? I want to lead you in prayer to receive Christ into your life. Is there anyone at all? I need Jesus today. I need Jesus today. Hallelujah. All right. Then I'm going to address you as believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you say, you know what, I want to join God's plan. I want to be a part of his plan. I want to be someone who makes disciples. I want to, I want to be part of that. I, want to, I need to do that. I need to make that decision. Then I, I do want you to raise up your hand because I believe we need prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God is asking us to do 
Yeah, I want to be a disciple maker. I want to be a disciple maker. Jesus, Jesus, right now, we want to be a part of your plan. We want to join in your plan. We want to be a community, a church of disciple makers. We want to be a church of a people, Lord, who, who makes disciples who make disciples. Father, that's what you have called us to. Lord, there may be some things in our lives that you need to, to, to work on. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would partner us up with a Paul in our lives to be a mentor. And Lord, I ask that you would give us some Timothys. You would give us some people in our lives that we can begin to invest in, that we can begin to share life with, that we can begin to walk through discipleship, that together we can continue the work of making disciples. Father, we surrender to you today. Convict us of areas, Lord, in our life, priorities in our schedules where we have not made room to have a relationship in which we can disciple others. And Father, give us a heart to meet the need of a broken world by sharing the truth of the gospel with those in need. Open up doors. Open up opportunities. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.